Good morning. Um, our sermon text this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians. I'll wait for you to turn there. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned from God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. morning everyone good morning good morning um yeah it's so good to see everyone this morning and awesome job our praise team did this morning and one thing um chloe just to celebrate real quick uh from the time she started but a few months ago like this morning seeing some confidence in her this morning how she hit the i was praying as we were worshiping and then she kind of came with some volume i'm like Chloe, what's going on here? So um, just super, just want to celebrate the youth. Like seeing her in church, that's an amazing thing to do, just see her up here in confidence, using the gift that God has given her. So super excited about that. Um, today we are taking a break from the series that we're going through, and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Today we will talk about the power of the gospel, the power of of the gospel. You all know by now I grew up in a small town in Mississippi, and it is the norm for us to attend church every Sunday. If you were to drive the dirt road that we live on, all the houses that are a mile or maybe two away from each other, we are all family. And if we all decided to attend church the same Sunday, it will be about 30 of us driving to church from that dirt road all in separate cars so we can we can fool somebody at church thinking a ton of people are there and it's just 30 cars <laughs> so um but now that was back then we all have grown up we moved away so it's not 30 of us on that road anymore but i had a cousin a cousin-in-law named dean Atkinson. he wasn't a believer and he didn't attend church often but in 2001 his life changed I think we all know, um, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, we know that we had fall and spring revival. And being a kid, they were five nights. 
and you had to endure a preacher preaching for an hour during a five-night revival. But this particular year, the revival and the fall revival fell right after 9-11. And I think we all can recall that the church experienced an overflux of people coming into the church because they were trying to get their lives right after 9-11. Well, one night during the revival, the pastor finished his sermon and he ended with what we call down south, opening the doors of the church or the invitation. And out of nowhere, Dean came running to the altar, falling on his knees in full surrender to God. That night, Dean became a believer. That night, his life forever changed. The gospel penetrated Dean's heart, and we all could witness and testify how the gospel, the good news, or the power of Christ transformed him. He was at church every time the doors was open, but before Christ, Dean was a smoker, he did drugs, he was a drinker, he didn't use the best language, and the list goes on. If he was living today, he would boldly share his testimony of Christ, but he gave it all up for Jesus. He started serving in many ministries in the church, and before he passed away, he was in vocational ministry full-time, or our church culture would say he was called to preach. We saw with our own eyes the power of the gospel through Dean. I am sharing a story about my cousin-in-law and friend, but if we are believers in the room this morning, we know firsthand the power of the gospel in our own lives. If you are a believer this morning, our text will encourage us to carry out the gospel or be on mission for God, and it will stir us to evaluate whether we have fully surrendered to God or not. If you are a non-believer, our text will reveal what happens when we surrender to God and become saturated by the gospel. So let's look at our text in verses 2 through 3. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering for our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And by now you all know that I'm a two-point, three-point person. So our three points this morning is going to come from verse 3 where it says, um, the, uh, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. So the, the power of the gospel produces a work of faith, the power of the gospel causes us to labor in love, the power of the gospel moves us from having hope in this world to steadfast hope in Christ. So let's look at the first one. The power of the gospel produces a work in faith. What do we know about the church in Thessalonica? If we were to go back and look at Acts chapter 17, we know Paul, Silas, and Timothy were embarking on their second missionary journey, leaving Philippi. When they arrived in Thessalonica, Paul did as he normally does when he entered a town. Paul went to the synagogue reasoning with the people from Scripture. He reasoned with the people in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, proclaiming that Jesus is Christ before he was forced out of town. But before they forced him out of town, Acts 17 and 4 says, Some of the Jews who who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. The people in Thessalonica were saturated by the gospel, and in three weeks, a church was established. We are reading about a church that was saved by grace through faith, and immediately they began to put their faith to work. Now, I want to be very clear this morning. Our works do not, does not earn our salvation. They cannot earn us anything with God. 
but our faith in God produces a good work out of, good work out of us. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. So this is also confirming that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But it said it is the gift of God. It is the gift that God chose us to be believers. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, this is affirming that the gospel produces a work in faith. He said we are created, we are his workmanship created by God for good works. So our faith should produce good works. Paul said, remembering your work of faith. How does Paul know they have a work in faith? Well, let's look in our Bible. It says in verse 5, the gospel will receive in power, in the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. Verse 6, they became imitators of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Verse 7 and 8, they became examples to the believer in Macedonia and Achaia and beyond. And lastly, verse 9, they turned from idols to serve the living God. So this is what happened. This was the, the product of their faith after they believed in Jesus. But what, were, what was the state of mind of the believers before Christ, before they surrendered to Christ? Just like the, the church in Thessalonica, before Christ, we had the same state of mind. We were lost in the depravity of our sin. We were separated from God. And why are we separated from God before we believe in him? We had to go back to Genesis. We had to go back to the fall, back to the creation. When, Genesis, when Adam and Eve allowed Satan to trick them, they gave up their right to be with God. They desired to gratify their flesh over the perfection of being in relationship with God. And from that moment, sin entered the world, from, entered the world and from that moment, we became separated from God. But God being who he is, being the merciful and loving God that he is, from Genesis 3 and 15, he promised us a promise, which is Jesus. Jesus had to come and die on the cross and take the penalty of our sin. He had to take the wrath of God. He had to be the ultimate sacrifice. He had to be the sacrificial lamb. So Jesus died a criminal's death on the cross for us to redeem us back and restore us in the right relationship with God. So that's our state of mind before we surrender to Christ. That's why we are born into sin. That's why we are separated from God. Now, Miss Kathy and Miss Gail, I did my best. What is the word for, for that? Um, it's from their Bible study, going back to the creation, the fall, and redemption and everything. So that was for you. <laughs> so this, these verses, verses through nine, inform us that the church in Thessalonica, after they surrendered to Christ, wasn't a group of believers that identified as Christians and sat on their hands. When they heard the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to the truth, brought them to repentance, and they became disciples of Christ and proclaimed the good news to those around them. Church, saving faith triggers a work in faith. Saving faith triggers a work in faith. Paul Washer stated, if Jesus Christ isn't strong enough to motivate you to live biblically, you don't know him at all. The true convert does not receive the gospel as an addition to his previous life, but in exchange for it. The power, the, there's power in the gospel because it transforms us. And the gospel brings about change in our lives. When we notice believers or churches not living out the gospels through repentance, being an example of Christ, serving their neighbors and pro proclaiming Christ crucified, 
it should raise red flags among us. We should ask the question, are you really a believer? Are you really the church? When God does a work in us, he will continue it until he calls us home to be with him. How are you living out your faith? How are you living out your faith? As believers and as a church, do your neighbors or the people in Ellsbury talk about your faith in Jesus? When the Holy Spirit, when God, when the gospel changes us, people should see that we are Christ-like. So in your marriage, are you a godly husband? Can people see you're a godly husband? Can they see you are a godly wife? Can they see you are a godly child? What about your teammates? What about uh, your classmates, your teachers? Can they see that you are a reflection of Christ? Can they see the good works that is done in you by Christ, your co-workers? Or is it only people know you are a Christian because you travel the same road, the same path to church every Sunday, sit in a pew, or they know that you are a believer because your dad or your mom are in ministry serving church? See, church is more, being a Christian is more than filling a pew on Sunday. We are the church. This is the building. The church walk into the building on Sunday morning. So wherever we are, we are the church, and we have to live it out. So we have to stop doing church and start being the church in our environment. Last year, I learned many interesting things about zucchini. So y'all heard me talk about my garden a lot last year. But zucchini has a male and a female flower. The female flower that produces zucchini cannot grow if it's not pollinated. The goal is for the bees to take the pollen from the male flower and transfer it to the female stigma. And if the female flower isn't pollinated, you will experience a lot of rot, uh, blossom end rot. And I experienced a ton of it. I found myself out early in the morning looking for bees. And when they weren't there, I find myself out early in the morning with a Q-tip taking pollen from the male flower to the female stigma so my zucchini can grow. <laughs> um, but early in the morning, the male and the female flower begin to open for the day, and typically the bees are out doing what they do. When the female flower blooms in the morning, it is waiting and desiring to be pollinated so it can produce a zucchini. The zucchini cannot grow without the pollen, and the zucchini cannot experience pollination without someone or something pollinating it. When the female flower is pollinated, the zucchini begins to grow, and if you're not careful, a zucchini will grow extremely big, and it will grow until you pick it. And here's my point. When the female flower blooms open early in the morning, it is waiting to be pollinated so it can produce the fruit that it was designed to produce. When we hear the word and the Holy Spirit open our eyes to the truth of the gospel, it penetrates our heart and we begin to grow. As we continue to grow, we produce the good works we were designed to produce. The gospel causes us to turn from our idols, mold us into resembling Christ, and we eagerly share the gospel to those around us. The power of the gospel produces a working faith, church. So let's look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, here we're going to focus on the word much affliction, because back in, first, in verse 3 it says, your um, labor of love. And labor here, and the second point is, the power of the gospel causes us to labor in love. And labor here means the sense that the labor involved, toil, fatigue, suffering, 
weariness, and sorrow. It does speak of an intense effort which can be united with trouble. We love God because he first loved us. We worship, serve, live on mission, and love our neighbor because his love for us cultivates a love for him. We endure hardship, suffering, agony, and pain because of love. Now, we are referring to agape love, which is unconditional love. Paul says they became imitators of them and Christ because they received the word in affliction. The church in Thessalonica suffer for the gospel or labor for the gospel in love. How do we know this? Let's go to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It should be on your screen, verses 13 through 15. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, it not as the word of, the, of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophet and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. In spite of the persecution, they put forth every effort to turn from idols, to live as the disciples, and to spread the gospel throughout Greece. Their love for God stirred their desire to labor for him no matter the cost. So how can we labor in love today? As a church, are we serving our community despite the persecution or hate we may experience because we stand on the truth? I mean, look at our world today. So much we allow kids to go and identify as animals when they go to school. We are forced to... Say same sex is okay. It's so much then when we stand against the, stand on the truth, we are called bigots. We are called, like, we are hate mongers, and it's not. So are we willing to labor and stand for Christ because uh, of the truth, because of who he is? Do we serve and love our neighbors when they aren't lovable? Kids, when you don't agree with your parents, will you still serve God and love him by being obedient? When we are struggling with that sin that seems as if it's going to defeat us, do we keep denying ourselves because we love Christ? When you are at odds with your spouse and there's no desire to submit as the bride or love and lead her as Christ loved and led the church, will you still serve each other? The church in Thessalonica could have said, this is too much, and walked away. But the gospel exploded their lives that it was for God I live and for God I will surely die. John Calvin states, I gave up all for Christ, and what have I found? Everything in Christ. In what ways has the gospel caused you to labor in love? So where do you see the gospel causing you to labor in love? What, is it, what about that person on the street that's struggling with drugs, and you constantly, man, you just keep on following, you keep on following, what am I going to do? Are you going to continue to labor and love and chase out that person, try to share Christ with them? How are you laboring in love? Now, I brought that up yesterday because my heart, I brought that up because yesterday I met a guy, and from the time I've been here, I saw him in this story. He's like, I'm in a rough patch. I got, but he's openly admitting that he's, you know, constantly around the people he's around, living in a home, so he's around the same people that does drugs. So since this year of being here, Twice, he done had a relapse. But I bring it, are we willing to labor? So when I went home, I'm like, why did I not 
talk to this brother more? Why did I not chase after him? I know what church he goes to, but why did I not invite him in? And I heard the same story, and this seemed like it's going to be the same pattern, but why am I not laboring like God labored for us, like God came and died on a cross for us? Why am I not showing the same thing? I read a cool story about Ukraine soldiers. The U.S. gave Ukraine over 5,000 Joblin missiles, Joblin missiles. A soldier stated that he had very little training before the war started. He said he watched a five-minute YouTube video and scanned a 12-point instruction manual while being driven to the spot they would fire the weapon. They are under attack, and their first attempt to use the missile, it did not work. And another, and another part of the article said, they were using the javelin cases to raise their slim cots off the dirty cold floor of the front line position. The love they have for their country, they were willing to toil, suffer, be uncomfortable, almost kill when the javelin didn't fire, teach themselves while being under attack and using the cases of the very thing that was helping them to fight off the Russian soldiers to keep them from sleeping on the cold ground. The love these soldiers have for their country was shown through their laboring to protect their country. So what are we willing to do for Jesus? How are we willing to labor for Jesus? In this life that we live for Jesus, will we take on the same attitude as the church in Thessalonica or the Ukraine soldiers? With joy from the Holy Spirit, we proclaim like Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 and 8 through 10, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Church, the gospel causes us to labor in love. So verses 9 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven when he raised from the dead Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. The power of the gospel moves us from having hope in this world to steadfast hope in Christ. If we back up to the end of verse 8, Paul says their faith in God had gone forth everywhere that they didn't need to say anything about them. The gospel was so powerful in their lives that the people in Macedonia and Achaia heard God, heard about God. Paul says, we heard, a, heard the report through others of how you turn from idols and waiting for Jesus to return. Before God brought salvation to the church in Thessalonica, they were living for this world. They had, the, they had placed their faith in the gods of this world, and that drove them to hope in the things of this world. But when the Holy Spirit started sanctifying them, they gave up the pleasure of this world, and God gave them a steadfast hope in him. But the key thing there, it says their hope, the church in, in um, Macedonia, Achaia, heard about their hope in Christ, how they are waiting to return. What, is pe what are the people saying about your hope in Christ? Like before I came to Ellsbury, kid you not, people was telling me about Ellsbury before I came here. I was bumping into people, and, and not in a bad way here when I say this, but the first thing I, say, first thing I heard about Ellsbury when I came, Oh, man, the drugs in Aylesbury. 
and the people really need uh, the gospel in Ellsbury. Now, that's true anywhere. No matter where I move, almost every place I move, people are like, oh, man, that's a drug area. And I haven't had any problems. I haven't had any problems since I've been here. But if I'm 40 minutes away and I'm hearing about the drug area or the people needing gospel, how come I'm not hearing about your faith in Christ? Their faith, their hope in Jesus was ringing out to everyone. So we, we know immediately from, from, we know from experience, it's something negative of gospel. It was spread to seven miles away. When something goes on in my family, it travels seven miles from Mississippi to St. Louis in five minutes because everybody be on the phone with each other. So we know, and when we look at these churches, I Googled it, and I think Achaia is like five hours from um, Thessalonica, and Macedonia was like two hours. So just picture how far the distance, the miles that was, and their hope in Christ was spread out through the region. So why we're not doing the same? Why we're not being confident in the gospel, surrendering to God that our hope in him is spreading out and people know that we are waiting for his return? None of that was in my notes, so now i got to look. <laughs> the living and true God is the only one that could do that. Amid everything that was happening, they were constantly laboring laboring, dying to self, and they were living their lives anticipating the return of Christ. They didn't allow their present circumstances still a swindle, swindle their hope in Christ. Paul and the other live among them for three weeks, and the gospel produced an immovable hope in the believers of the other Thessalonica, other believers in Thessalonica. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So when we hope in Christ, whatever we suffer, whatever we do for Christ, it is not in vain. So that, could, that should continue to spur us, motivate us that, God, I am living for you. My hope is in you. I am anticipating your return. Does our faith and hope in Jesus resemble the church in Thessalonica? And are we anticipating the return of Christ? As the church today faced with similar opposition, do we have an enduring hope that motivates us to be on mission until he returns for us? We read in Acts 17 that some believers were arrested because they were with the apostles. Then in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, it tells us that their own people persecuted them. But the report Paul received about them stated their steadfast hope in Christ was ringing out to everyone. Just think about the time you were ridiculed or made fun of because of your faith. I know I'm not the only one, but when we gave our lives to Christ, our desires for this world started to change. We didn't fit in with the popular crowds because of Jesus. We referred to as being, you are so holy that you are no earthly good. We weren't, we weren't invited to things, and people thought we were trying to be better than them. And I'll go ahead and tell you this definitely to the, to the youth. Every time I wanted to fit in, I gave up uh, to the things of this world. I wanted, due to I wanted to fit in, I'm out drinking with friends. I'm out clubbing with friends. I'm out doing this. So every time I felt the pressure from peers of wanting to be a part, less and less I started living like Christ. So do not fall to that temptation. 
think about the moment that your life forever changed because of Christ. I heard this way growing up. The old saints would say, the Lord got a hold of me. And they would cry, and this was their cry when we was growing up. They would say, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I am found. He picked me up, and he turned me around, and he placed my feet on a solid ground. When I was lost deep in sin, Jesus came, and he took me in. Church, the gospel changes our hope world to hope in Jesus, and when that happened, we're not bothered by what others think, think and the suffering we may face because of Christ. Our steadfast hope in Jesus allows us to be overcomers. It allows us to be more than conquerors in him. It calls us to be like the woman at the well when she went back to her village and she said, come see a man that told me about everything I did. We should be just like that woman. When we look at how we in desperate need of a Savior each and every day. When we look at how God changed us and delivered us and saved us, how can we not share that with our brothers that is not saved? How can we not share that with our sisters that are not saved? How can we not share that with our neighbors? We are talking about the all-powerful God that formed, when he said, let, me, let us create man in our image, he formed us and blew life in it. We, our life, our being, our breath, the air that we breathe, all our being is because of Christ. How can we not share that? We should be just like the woman at, at the well going back. We should be shouting about our hope in Christ on the rooftop. The, the old songwriter said this growing up. Never heard this song. The only choir I heard this song in my great auntie church. They would say, I tell it on the mountaintop and in the valley low. God has been so good to me, I want the world to know. A rock and a wheel, shelter in a time of storm. He put his arms around me so the devil can't do me no harm. I'll tell it everywhere. If our hope in Christ doesn't produce a desire to be steadfast and bring about change, what are we hoping in? Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is what happened to the believer in Thessalonica. This is what happened to us after God saved us, and this is what happens when you surrender to God. When God saves us, he pours his love into our heart by the Holy Spirit. Because of his love for us and our love for him, we endure and rejoice and suffer. Our character begins to change by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit begins to grow our hope. And when our hope grows in Christ, we know it will not put us to shame. If we are running to this world for hope, I come to tell you, the hope that Christ gives us, the world didn't give it, and the world cannot take it away. The power of the gospel gives us a steadfast hope, church. There's a story of a little boy that was adopted. He was raised in an abusive home, and um, he was practically treated as a slave. He was adopted by parents that, would love, that loved him as a parent should. He had his own room, his own toys, and the love of a mother and father. Well, one night, the father got up in the middle of the night 
and he noticed the boy wasn't in his room. And he went looking for the boy, and he found him at the door crying. And so he thought the boy just couldn't sleep, so he took him back to his room and laid down. Well, a few nights later, the dad woke up again, and he noticed the boy at the door crying. So he decided to ask the boy, what is wrong? And the boy responded and said he was afraid his dad was coming back to get him. So he reaffirmed the, for him that his dad wasn't coming to get him, and, he, and this is his new home. And he said to him, even if your dad tries to come for you, you don't have to leave with him. When God saved us, or for the non-believer in the room, when he saves you, he adopts us into his family. He gives us a new identity that separates us from this world. Before Christ, this world was our home, and we experienced all kinds of abuse from it. We don't have to be afraid because God will protect us from the harm of this world. Yes, Satan will come to tempt us. That's why Paul sent um, Timothy back to check on the church because he's like he wanted to make sure that Satan, had, Satan hadn't caused them to stray away. But just as the dad told the little boy, this is your new home, and if your dad does come, you don't have to go. Well, when the tempter come, tempting us with, with the things of our former life, persecution, and suffering. We don't have to give in or lose hope because we have faith in Jesus. I have one question. If you are lacking in your faith or living it out with Christ, what caused you to lose your awe of God? So if you're lacking to live out this Christian life, living out boasting Christ in every, glorifying Christ in every aspect of your life, what caused you to lose your awe of God. And once you answer that question, repent and turn back to him and be the Christian that he designed and called you to be. And for the non-believer in the room, there's nothing without Jesus. When the enemy may be telling you that you're a good person, you love your neighbor, you serve others, and that will get you into heaven. Well, I come to tell you, that is a lie. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the hype of the enemy. Jesus said the only way to God is through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why we have to be careful. And sometimes we have to definitely today's time say, I believe in Jesus. Because most religion or most people say, I believe in a higher power when they say God or the Muslim faith, anybody, like, I believe in God. But the question is, do you believe in Jesus? Because Jesus is the only way. So if you're a non-believer, Jesus is the only way for you. Jesus is the only way you can be adopted. Jesus is the only way you can have a new home. We have been talking about the power of the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus. Jesus is gospel. So will you surrender to him today? So what do we do with this? So we're talking about the, God, the power of the gospel. We're talking about the power of the gospel produces good works, steadfast love. Um, take us from hoping in his words to steadfast hope in him. him. So I'm going to give a couple things that you possibly could practically do this week to live this out. So one, the first thing is evaluate your heart. Evaluate your heart and ask yourself, if you know that you're not really living out your faith, ask yourself, Lord, search my heart. Am I really a believer? 
have I really surrendered to Christ? And if you say, well, yeah, I know I surrendered to Christ. Well, now you need to ask your question, well, am I a babe in Christ? And come on, like back in the day, we would say that we saw a four or five-year-old walking around with a pacifier or a bottle in their mouth. We would say, what is wrong with them? Now, today's time is different. Back then, we would say, what is wrong with them? Why are their parents allowed them to walk around with this pacifier in their mouth or a bottle in their mouth at four or five? Well, the same thing as a believer. Why are you, if you're the same person you was when God, when you first became a believer, why are you still on milk? Why are you walking around being a babe in Christ? Why haven't you grown up? Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. We need to grow up in the faith. Second thing, find a way to be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. Don't overcomplicate it. Sometimes we get in this position where, oh, I'm an introvert. I'm not. I, I just don't communicate with people like that. Small gestures. Go to your neighbor. Text them. This is one thing I do. I don't like public praying. I'm be honest. I'm growing in it, but I don't like it um, because I, I, don't, I don't think quick on my feet. So a lot of times when people ask me, when I ask, how can I pray for you? Or they say, pray for me. What I do, I go to my phone, and now I can text it out and think clearly in my thoughts. I would text them the prayer. We use social media for everything else, so why not use text the prayer to the person? So a simple thing of, how can I pray for you? Or like I saw a friend this week, we was out to lunch, and he was so generous that he bought other people lunches. Like showing that and say, hey, God bless you. Jesus love you. So we complicate sharing the gospel. We think it's got to be this Bible-thumping thing, in which I'm not saying that you don't share the word or none of that, but we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in multiple ways. And that just people want to be seen. The fact that you know your neighbor's birthday and text them on that birthday, you just don't know how much they impact them and they are seen. And lastly, this is something easy that what I like about Ellsbury, especially coming into this year, we have so many events now. I shouldn't say events. Um opportunities um, to invite people to things like, like this Wednesday, we got prayer, you know, worship and prayer. Come out to that or invite somebody to worship and prayer. Now the women are meeting every first Wednesday of the month. That's something, that's an opportunity for you to invite a neighbor, invite a friend that you know that's not a believer. The men meet every last Wednesday of the month. That's an opportunity for you. We got a women's Bible study on Tuesday afternoon at one o'clock, right? And that's an opportunity. These are areas that we can invite. So if you are intimidated with sharing the gospel, at least say, hey, come to church with me. <laughs> you know, we got plenty of opportunities for them to hear the gospel because the word is shared in that moment. And they are able to experience the body of believers. So those are three things that put some handles on what we talked today, talked about today and simple. Um, I'm going to pray for us this morning. And Sam will come up. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for being the awesome God that you are. I thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for being so loving. God, I just pray right now that something will say, God, that will impact your people. God, I pray that, um, that if we haven't fully surrendered to you, God, I ask now, that you would just explode our lives, God, that you would just change our hearts, God, that you just put a desire in us that we will want to surrender to you. And, God, that you just bring salvation to us if we are not 
believers. And God, I just pray now for all of us that claim to be believers, that we confess that you are Lord over our lives, God. God, I just pray that if there's anything that is keeping us from glorifying you, God, in our lives, that you will remove it. God, that we just lay it at your feet. And God, I just pray now that you just give us boldness, God, that we will live out loud in our community, God, that we will share the gospel or that our neighbors, our community, our coworkers, God, um, our teammates will know about you because of our faith. And God, give us boldness to uh, share our faith with those around us, God. God, I pray that you just use us in a mighty way and that you just continue to transform us, that you continue to uh, renew us each and every day and that we will just look more and more like you. I ask all this in your name. Amen.